Doing it live on a Wednesday, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter. This is the Dubcast, and we, you know, we this is the holiday week, so we've got some awards we're going to give out through the 2016 season. Have a little fun with that. We've got some breaking news this week um, as we do this uh, do this fine podcast, my friend, and that is that Billy Davis is going to be on the Ohio State coaching staff in some capacity for next season. If you're asking yourself, as I was, who in the blue hell is Billy Davis? <laughs> well, I will tell you. In the blue hell. Uh, it's been 26 years since he coached in college. He was a GA at Michigan State. He's been bouncing around the NFL for two and a half decades. Um, and really, that's the key to this whole thing, is it not, Johnny? If you think about what Urban Meyer has done with his program, and you think about how he's selling it and how, what an easy sell it is right now, it's the NFL experience that you go to Ohio State. It is the, the program most in this country, with the possible exception of Alabama, and maybe right now even more so than Alabama, that gets you ready for the pros. That's that's the whole thing. I remember when they were uh, recruiting on the cold weather, Urban said, look, you got to play in the cold. If you're going to play in the NFL, why not do it in college? It'll train you to play in the cold. They took their weakness, which was climate, and made it a strength. Yeah. <laughs> you think about Shiano coming <laughs> in with the NFL experience. Uh, you think about and now Davis coming in with the NFL experience. It's just an easy thing uh, for Urban to sell. And uh, to me, I don't know anything about Billy Davis other than what I've seen online today. I don't know anything about him. Um, so it's really uh, a no-brainer from the standpoint of NFL experience is a very easy thing to be sold to recruits. And so this seems like a no-brainer in the, repl- the replacement for Luke Fickle, though I don't think he'll be the defensive coordinator. No, I, I don't think that's going to be his role <laughs> at all. I mean, it, and honestly, like from what I know of him is just the stats that I've seen from his defense of the NFL, which is admittedly bad, but honestly, like I wouldn't put it past urban Meyer to literally just hire the dude because he has that credential (laughs) and say, Hey, NFL coaches are going to coach you. You come to Ohio state might as well show up. Might as well, you know, get that experience for the real deal. Um, And I know that they've had a connection too. I know that urban Meyer and, and Davis are, are bros. So, you know, I don't really love the hire, mostly on the basis that his defenses have not produced in the NFL. But I also understand that Urban Meyer is a lot smarter at this and a lot better at this than I am. And, uh, you know, if that helps you get an extra three, five stars a year, then I'm not really going to complain about that, especially given how this recruiting class is shaping up. So I'm not, you know, right. I think I think it'll be all right. Yeah, I, my guess would be, obviously, I think it'd be just the linebackers coach, clearly. Yeah. And that right. Shiano would be the defensive coordinator and that... Probably Kerry Combs would get the bump up to co-defensive coordinator for sticking around and not going with Luke to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably the way that'll all shake out, and that'll be fine. Shiano's obviously well overqualified for being the defensive coordinator. I think the thing that'll be interesting with him is obviously he's going to be gone after next year. I cannot see a scenario where he's around after next year, after what he did in his first year here. Oh, yeah. With his credentials, what he's done at Rutgers, this is a guy who you know could have had the could have had the Michigan job, the Penn State job. I think all that stuff will, will circle back to him. And and next year, if there's some big openings, I think he will be at the top of of any list. If Brian Kelly is run at Notre Dame, I think Shiano would be at the top of that list. Yep. Um. I I think he will be at the top of of every list next year. So you got him for one more year, and then that's where it gets a little tricky because then at that point, I don't think you have a defensive coordinator on staff ready to to step in. And so you're going to have to go hire a big one at that point. So, but, but that's a problem for another year. I think this is a clear, um, a clear nod to the NFL and, and what urban has been pushing. And, and really um, I've mentioned this before in the podcast. It was one of my, one of my most proud lines in, in radio. When I said it, urban Meyer selling Ohio state is Don Draper selling Mercedes Benz. Mm-hmm. And, and what they did is they came up 
you if you watch Mad Men, you remember the uh, the carousel camp pitch that D- the Draper gave in in the carousel pitch. Oh yeah, yeah, seen, yeah, 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 yeah. If you haven't seen Mad Men, Google it and YouTube it and watch it. Um, and it's the pitch that he gives to the Kodak people to sell the carousel, and that is what Urban Meyer and Mark Pantone have come up with at Ohio State. They have a carousel pitch right now, and you see it in recruiting, you see it in who they hire on their coaching staff. You see it in the way that the university and the way that the, the football program is projected to the rest of the country. Urban Meyer, it, I mean, he had Jamie Dimon come in and speak to his football team. I mean, one of the most powerful financial people in this country came in and spoke to his football team on, quote, real life Wednesdays. What other school in the country could pull that off? There aren't many. And, and Urban could pull that off. And so I go to FAU and talk. No, my God. And he's not going to Alabama, frankly. No. He's not going to Tuscaloosa. It's a tough flight from New York. You know, he may be in Columbus doing business. But but the point is, is they they have circled the wagons on how they're going to present their program. And that is you're going to come to a big league city. You're going to come to a university that takes care of its own. You are going to come to a city and a university that you can live in the rest of your life. If you do not make it in the NFL, they will take care of you in Columbus, Ohio and Ohio State. Do that better than any place I've ever seen. Part of that is because of the amount of opportunity because it's a big city. And, and the other thing that they sell is we are an NFL program. If you come to Ohio State, you will play in the league. We will get you to the league. Look at all these guys that get to the league. And it helps that they have guys like Zeke and Bosa and Michael Thomas in this last draft class that are just lighting it up. And this Davis hire is the latest line, the latest example of that. The, I've just never seen a coach and a program so – hand-in-hand, step-in-step for how they are presented, how they're sold. The marketing that Pantone and Urban have done with this program is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, and it's, it's very impressive. And I think Davis is just, is just the very latest line of it. Um, the other thing, you, I, I want to get your thoughts on that. You've been around the program a long time. And, and when Trestle, I was there when Trestle took, was, was the coach, obviously, for several years. And and Jim's the way Jim sold the program was so vastly different than the way Urban sells oh, it. Oh God, yeah. And then yeah. before that, Cooper, before that, Earl, and then Woody. This is a totally. If if you asked Earl Bruce, who loves Urban like a son, if he could recognize this program, other than the colors and the logo and the fight song, <laughs> I don't know if he could. Yeah. No. I mean, it's definitely a different style it's a different coaching style it's a different presentation style i also think that just the way college football is demands that um look as much as i love jim trestle i also understand that great coaches they've got a routine they've got a feel for the way they want to do things and that doesn't always work if you're in the same position for a long time because you've got to learn to adapt to this the changing situation and again you know we bring this up a lot with recruiting but Jim Trestle just wasn't built to recruit, you know, in 2016. Like, I'll just say that right now. Like, he, he doesn't have or didn't have maybe the wherewithal or the, the media engagement and things like that to really attract recruits the same way that he could have done that in 2003, 2004. Like, it's a completely different ballgame. I mean, just social media alone has completely changed how you have yeah. to approach it. And that's not a knock on Trestle. I mean, it, he, he did an amazing job at Ohio State, but you could see it towards the end of his tenure. It's not it wasn't working as well, right? Like you had to change yeah. it up. And I just don't know that that was his thing. And Urban Meyer is tailor-made for the era of college football that we are currently, you know, experiencing. And so I think part of it is just really intelligent 
um, you know, selling of the school and, 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 you know, the media and how the, the advertising of the program is done, you know, with all the really, you know, the photoshops and the videos and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. But part of it is just the person of Meyer who is just, I think, personality wise fits what Ohio State needs to be if they want to challenge, you know, Alabama and the, you know, the other, the other programs. And really it's just Alabama at this point. So You're right. And they knew it from day one. I remember yeah. Fernando Lavo, who now is with Tom Herman at Texas in the Pantone role. He followed Tom to Houston. I remember Fernando when he came into the 10 TV sports office a week after Urban got hired and he was a video coordinator. I don't even know what his role was. But he came into 10 TV and he goes, he said, look guys, can we get some video from you guys? We need to, we got to spruce this place up. Yeah. Like the Woody Hayes needed to be spruced up. We need some video. We got to get some stuff that we can put on a loop. We got to make some highlight packages. We got to do all these things. And we're like, sure, of course, what do you need? So we, we took care of them and we, we gave them some stuff and, and away they went. And these videos started to loop. And, and everything that they have done uh, to that program, I mean, do you think about this? And this is, this is hard for, for people who uh, have uh, bled scarlet and gray their whole lives probably to wrap their heads around. But Ohio State, the perception of Ohio State around the country pre-Urban Meyer was anything but hip, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was not the cool school. It was the stodgy no. old Big Ten. It was this uh, archaic offense. It was big offensive linemen and linebackers, but hardly any skill. The what That couldn't win the big game, couldn't beat the SEC. That was the perception around the country until Urban Meyer was hired. In a matter of five years, Urban Meyer has made Ohio State, along with Alabama, the it school in mm -hmm. the country. That is a, a tremendous accomplishment in a short amount of time. I mean, yeah. to go and from, I mean, they're USC in 2004 and five. I mean, you remember what USC was in four and five, where every, right. you know, that five, six, seven year with Carroll, where they were national championships every year, making a run sports center, you know, cover of SI. That's what Ohio state is. I mean, urban's done that in five years. I mean, it's quantum leap from the program he took over. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is really a difficult job, and I think that's one of the things that people don't really necessarily appreciate when it comes to Urban Meyer. I mean, when you come into a program that is really, like, kind of not stuck in the mud necessarily, but definitely in need of a shakeup, not only do you have to have the confidence, uh, you know, to go in and tell people that they're doing things incorrectly, especially at a really successful program like Ohio State, but you also have to have a plan. You also have to have, like, yeah. a clear vision of what is going to be needed to compete against the Alabamas of the world. And, you know, as much credit as we give Urban Meyer for being just like a regular football coach, I am probably more impressed with the fact that he just had an immediate understanding of what Ohio State needed uh, across the board uh, from day one. And that's that, to me, is really, really impressive because you see a lot of coaches who just do not get it, and they will never get it because they want to coach the way that they played in the 1970s and 1980s, and yeah. you can't do that anymore. And Urban Meyer's not that dude. You're right. I see it up here with Cleveland and with the Browns, where mm -hmm. they talk over and over about how we have to change the culture. We have to change the culture, change, blah, 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 blah. Urban Meyer in a month changed the culture. Yeah. In a <laughs> month. He changed the culture of a program. And now it, it perfectly identifies and lines up with his beliefs. And it's, it's awesome. And it's fun to be a part of. You know, we were talking about uh, Davis. Billy Davis will join the staff. I was thinking about all of the coaches who have left and who they've been replaced by. And I may be missing someone. I'm just, you know, kind of spitballing this off the top of my head. But um, Everett Withers replaced by Chris Ash. I would yeah. say that's an upgrade. Mike Vrabel replaced by Larry Johnson. That's an upgrade. 
Yeah. Mike's a, Mike is a fiery coach, but he's not Larry Johnson, who might be the best you know, defensive line coach in the history of college football. Right. Herman out. Beck Warner in. Ed to offensive coordinator, Beck to quarterbacks. D- downgrade. I still don't think we've gotten offensively where we were in the Herman time. It's just, it just hasn't happened. So that's, that's so far. That's like the one that's, you know, you go, you take a step back, Ash to Shiano upgrade. So now from Everett Withers to Greg Shiano, you've made two upgrades yeah. <laughs> to get to your current <laughs> position. Um, fickle out Davis in. We'll see. It's going to, I think to, initially you'd have, you'd be silly to say it's anything other than a step back because of how long fickle's been there and how, and how great his defense was this year. Um, at running backs coach Stan Drayton out, Tony Alford in. That's a push to me. And then Tim Hinton out and studs in um, on offensive lines, Ted's uh, uh, tight ends. That That's an upgrade because of studs ability to recruit the South. So that's the other thing, because the fault when his program at Florida fell off a cliff after year five, it was because he did not trust his assistants because he did not was not able or, or didn't hire the quality assistant coaches like the ones who left him. The yeah. same cannot be said here where in from, you know, this is, a, you know, off the top of your head going through this, at least now it looks like he's upgraded. What am I talking about? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven coaching changes thereabouts since he's been at Ohio State. And in, I would say five or six of them he's upgraded. That's that's how you keep a program where it's at. Right. And I, I want to go back to something you kind of mentioned real quickly. It's not just coaching in general, right? It's also the recruiting. It's the other things that these coaches yeah. bring to the table. Like if you have that, you can look, you don't may not have to be the greatest coach in the history of the universe. Like a Kerry Combs, like as much as I love that dude's personality, he's probably not some like secondary savant, right? Like he's, right. he's a great he's coach. A and, football coach. Yeah. In his own way, he's a great, great coach, but, he, yeah. but he's not, you know, he's not coming up with these insane new defenses and things like that. Um, but he recruits and his players love him. And that, that is value. Like that is, there's nothing, you can't take anything away from that. So, you know, like I said, if, if Davis comes in and, and maybe he's not the greatest coach in the world, but kids connect with him and he can help recruit and maybe he's a great position coach. That's really all that you need. I mean, that, that's really like, there's not going to be drop off if there's, like I said, I think last week, if there's that continuity between the guy who left and the guy who's coming in. And it doesn't have to be a world beater. It doesn't have to be the greatest coach in the you know history of the universe. It just has to be a guy who can fill that role ably and bring something of his own to the table. So, you know, like I said, you know, Urban Meyer knows this dude. Um, he wouldn't hire to some scrub off the street. And I'm sure he'll mesh well with the, uh, you know, with the overall coaching staff. I mean, there's been some missteps, but I think for the most part, Urban Meyer's pretty much got this down to a science at this point. Yeah, I, I think the best thing you can, from an Ohio State perspective you can take from it is he learned from his Florida stint yes. tremendously. Yes. Um, and, and not only in, in recruiting and developing, identifying quality characters, all of those things, he, he learned from his Florida mistakes. And same thing, I think, with his staff. So uh, the program's in great shape and until Urban says he's done. Enjoy the ride. Um, I want to get to the best of it real quick. I have a curveball for you. We didn't. I didn't tell you this before the show, but it, okay. I just, it just hit me right now because I just want to get your take on it because you're in Columbus currently, and I spent so much time there. And to me, that I want to talk to you about the Ohio State basketball dichotomy with the Columbus Blue Jackets' success. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is this is not the the podcast where we're going to talk about the basketball program and the overall malaise that surrounds it. What what I'm curious about though is the the thing that Thad never had to contend with when I was there was a relevant Columbus Blue Jacket team in December. Mm-hmm. He, he rarely had to deal with a relevant Columbus Blue Jacket team at all. 
the times that they made the playoffs, the Buckeye season was over. They were late pushes. They were low right. seeds in the playoffs. They got bounced early. This is not what this Blue Jacket team is. This is a Blue no. Jacket team that is one of the best in the NHL through the start of the season. Their record backs that up. They've got the Penguins on Thursday night, which will be one of the more anticipated home games in the city of Columbus from a professional sports standpoint. Um, that will be a raucous environment. I'm looking at the attendance at these games. I'm looking at the eyes that are on it from the television, and I'm that juxtaposed with a basketball program from what I can tell that is just sputtering from an interest yeah. standpoint. They seem to be a fine program and a fine team, and they're entertaining enough to be a you know a six, seven, eight, nine seed. But nobody gives a damn about them, and they're not going to the games. And I'm seeing, and it's there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. Yeah. Some of it's recruiting, player development, uh, hiring of assistant coaches. Some of it's the venue. A lot of it is the scheduling because it's a nonsense way that they schedule. But they've never had to contend with this. And I wanted to get your opinion on it because you are in that city. Right. I'm not every day. Um, if I was still at Channel 10 and 97.1 The Fan, this would be a fascinating conversation to have. And I'm curious, what is what is getting the buzz in that town? It, still, Ohio State football is hovering over all of it because you got a playoff semifinal. But below that, what's the 1A? I, is the, have the Blue Jackets overtaken Ohio State basketball in that town as, as the sports topic of the day? I don't think you'll know until later in February. I think if... Columbus Blue Jackets are still playing lights out. You know, they're still beating the crap out of the rest of the league in February, and it looks like they're going to be a relatively high seed in the playoffs. I don't see how anybody really cares about the Big Ten Championship. You know what I mean? Like the tournament. Um, it, it's a, like, with that modest team this year is decent. They're not good, really. I mean, yeah. they're, and they're really hard to watch. They're, they're not. It's, it's fun. been this way for a long time. I mean, yeah. outside of D'Angelo Russell, they haven't been fun to watch in five, six years. Right. They've been really, really difficult to watch. John Thomas um, left. Yeah. And, and the, honestly, the Blue Jackets are playing really attractive hockey, hockey. It's not just that they're good, it's that they're really, really like engaging. Mm-hmm. The skill level is extremely high. The players are really young, so they're just going out there and hitting dudes. Um, it's a really, really fun team to watch. I don't think you're really going to engage that, though until later on in the season. Because I feel like Columbus Blue Jackets fans in general have just been burned so many times. I mean, last year they were told that this is how the team was going to perform. And they fell flat on their face right out of the gate. They were awful. And I think a lot of Blue Jackets fans are still a little, you know, hesitant to to go all in on this team. But, again, you get into the last third of the season, and they're still where they are. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. This city's going to go absolutely crazy. I remember, I mean, I you know, I watch Blue Jackets. I'll, I'll you know, when the game's on, I'll put it on. I try to go to one or two games a year. Like I enjoy the Blue Jackets. I consider myself a fan. But I just remember when they made the playoffs for the first time and um it was just it was bonkers. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah. And then when they actually like, you know, performed well in the playoffs and, and were, you know, actually winning games uh, as yeah. opposed to just getting swept. I mean, the whole city just lost their minds and I if you've got a team that has a legitimate shot the Stanley Cup, you know, Columbus hasn't had that. I mean, think about that. Columbus has never had not like even, a not even a, No, of course not. They haven't had a team that they thought could win a round. Right. I mean, they played and so the Red Wings saying, and like, the Penguins. I mean, they, they weren't going to win a round, let alone right. you know, advance a round or two. I mean, it no, and I, I think Columbus is is a is a Columbus in general, with the exception of Ohio State football, is a front running town. 
If yeah. you are good, they will grab on your bandwagon. They will do it with the Blue Jackets. <laughs> they will do it with Ohio State basketball. They will do it with the Cavaliers. They'll do it with the Indians. I mean, the mm-hmm. ratings for Indians, Cavaliers, Reds when they made their runs a couple of years ago in Columbus were off the charts. They're usually in the top 10 in the country uh, for that type of stuff just because Columbus loves a winner. It's a town that's full of winners. It loves a winner, and, and they've never had that. And the biggest rival to Thad Mata's basketball program was never Michigan or Michigan State. It was in that town, it was the Blue Jackets. And the yeah. Blue Jackets haven't been a worthy rival because they've never been relevant. Certainly never been relevant in December, January, and February. And no. now they are. And yeah, so I mean, that will be a fascinating thing that plays out because Thad bought it from a basketball standpoint. His program has no juice. There's nothing to it. It's There's nothing interesting about it right now. Um, the, the venue's a mess. The program has been trending this way for a long time. I mean, just think if they don't hit on D'Angelo Russell, how long it's been since you've had something to be excited about right. in that arena. I mean, it's been a long time. So I'm just, I'll be very curious to see how this plays out over the course of the next, you know, couple of weeks and months and, and see if these Blue Jackets can keep it going and what type of, well, it'll be something we'll keep an eye on and we'll get into more basketball once we get past the football season. But um, I just was, I noticed that the Blue Jackets, I mean, Ohio State played what Youngstown State last night in front of about eight people, and the Blue Jackets, you know, had this another tenth straight win, and then they play the Penguins on Thursday. And I'm thinking, wow, yeah, Dad's never had to deal with something like that. I mean, where he's not the lead on the local sports cast, and he's not the lead in the dispatch. Um, not those are old forms of media. I get it, but um, those are still the kind of the traditional ways of, of measuring, or that that people, older people, certainly view what's most important in that town we set that you know those media newspaper radio television web all it all sets the agenda what's important and and as ohio as ohio state basketball now has to contend with irrelevant blue jackets that's a fascinating that'll be a fascinating conversation that's had over the next few months in that town so I'm, i'm i'm interested to see how it all goes uh sorry to spring that on you but it was just something that uh i wanted to get to uh as i I I was thinking the other thing that I want to add, I mean, I'm glad you talked about the venue. I mean, it's hard to watch a basketball game at the shot, um, the way it's structured. It's especially, yeah, a college basketball game, I mean, it's, it's awful. If you're, you're going to watch a, a team that plays, you know, grinded out defensive style, that's one thing. But if you have to watch that team play that style in this just cavernous place that's like a sterile field, if that, it, it's, it's hard. It's, like it's a prison. really, really hard, and it's not fun. I used to call it Oz. You remember the HBO show Oz? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what it was like to me. Like it was just all gray. Yeah, you know, just unpainted concrete everywhere. You know, they can put whatever they want on on the outside of it in the practice facilities, and hopefully that helps with recruiting. But if you're selling that environment, that's a tough sell. I mean, they yeah. they would have been better off. And I know that that you know when Andy did it, you know, he, he wanted to be the first multi-purpose arena in Columbus, and there was big money with concerts and all of that, and that's what it was about. But they would have been a lot better off just staying at St. John. And, yep. And renovating that and making it modern, or hell, not doing anything with it. Cameron's fine the way it is. Allen Fieldhouse is fine the way it is. You don't, you didn't need to do any of it. You could have just put air conditioning in the place; it would have been fine. But um, yeah, it's it'll be interesting because that's a that is a that's an arms race that's important because outside of football, they need basketball. They don't. They need basketball to be relevant. They mm-hmm. need them to be relevant to the big do- boosters who buy the big seats on the floor. And if those people who are buying the seats on the floor instead want to buy luxury boxes at the Blue Jackets, if they're sustainable, that's a problem. 
So yeah, and the, the Blue Jackets are young run. too. That's the other thing. I mean, it's They're not like players. this is just a team that hired a bunch of mercenaries to to win for a no. year. I mean, this is a team that's built for a long, long time. Yeah, it's mostly homegrown. It's it's all young. Yeah, I mean they, you know, yeah they they can be good for a while. I mean, I don't know if they can win a cup, but they're but they're building towards that, and they're going to be real. And they got an interesting coach. I mean, they they've got a <laughs> yeah. lot of things working for them right now. So they've never won, and now they have. So I'll be very interested to see how it plays out. Uh, all right, let's move on to the awards, my friend. We will do our best of 2016 because the next time Ohio State play, well, I guess it'll be New Year's Eve, so we'll play one more game on the 16th, but we won't really count that. Um, <laughs> so the, the, we're, we'll do our, our awards for the season. We did this on the television show a couple weeks ago. I want to do it with you on the pod. Um, okay. So we've got some categories here. And um, let's start with, I think we should start with the most improved player. So let's start with most improved offensive player. And um, there's a there's a lot of ways you can go in this, but and I I think Mike Weber's the answer though for me at least he is this is the quietest thousand yard rusher maybe yeah. in the history of Ohio State and all he had to do is replace you know the guy who's in the running to be the MVP of the NFL who's the leading rusher in the NFL on the most glamorous team in the NFL who's jumping in Salvation Army buckets um, <laughs> in his spare time so that's all he had to replace and he ran for a thousand yards and had a pretty damn good first year as a starting running back at Ohio state. So my most improved offensive player would be Mike Weber. And uh, I'm really happy for that kid because he handled himself pretty well. I think that's a legitimate choice. And I, I guess if you're going to be looking at maybe, you know, in terms of where their skill level was last year to where it is this year, I, I would agree with that. The only thing that I might add is that Curtis Samuel, I mean, obviously I think he's always had that talent, but yeah. he had something like, like just over 400 yards of total offense last yeah. year. And this year he's like over 1,500 yards. So yeah. if, if you're talking about production overall, um, I think Curtis Samuel has really, really brought it. I mean, the dude has over twice as many receptions as the next dude on the team. Yeah, um, and he's got like 65 this year or something like that. Um, so it, yeah, I, I would, I would say that in terms of overall skill level, I think Mike Weber has definitely improved. He's, he's averaging over six yards a carry right now. Uh, but if you're looking at overall production, I think you got to give it to Curtis Samuel. Well, and we'll get to him a little later on, on yeah. my list. <laughs> yes, yes, obviously. There, there will be awards for Curtis Samuel a little bit later right. down on the list. Uh, most improved defensive player for me. I got to go to what was the most fun secondary that I've ever watched at Ohio State. Um, yep. and, and I won't pretend that I, I watched Antoine Winfield on a game-in, game-out basis or Sean Springs or any of those guys, but uh, I watched this year's team, and I've watched for about 10 years every game, every second of every game. And Marshawn Lattimore, going from a kid who you're thinking – well, I think he's going to be good enough to to hang with the rest of these cats um, to a guy who's a borderline first round pick in the NFL draft is an incredible playing opposite Connolly, who we knew was great. I'll mm-hmm. get to hooker on one of my other awards, but Marshawn Lattimore playing himself into a potential first round NFL draft pick. I just think that's a hell of a job in, in, in terms of what was expected or what I expected at least into what he ended up being. I say kudos to that kid. So Marshawn Lattimore would be my most improved defensive player. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I, Lattimore, I mean, a lot of the stuff that he went through and, and had to get to this, uh, get through to get to be where he is now. I mean, yeah, I, I would say that dude definitely deserves that uh, most improved because it's not just Malik Hooker, you know, intercepting every single ball out there. Like it's a team effort. It's a unit yeah. effort. They're doing really, really well. And, and he's a big part of that. Yeah, he absolutely is. All right, next up, we're going to go to, I think we're going to do best offensive player right now. Okay. And that's where I go Curtis Samuel. 
this is a three-way award. I could go Elfline, I could go Barrett, and I could go Samuel. I think Curtis Samuel, you mentioned 1,500 total yards, mm-hmm. 700 rushing, 700 receiving. The amount of receptions he had, the amount of touchdowns, the electrifying plays, the game winner against Michigan. I think Curtis Samuel was not done any favors by this coaching staff no. because I think Curtis Samuel could have won the Heisman. I really do. I, I think he could have won the Heisman Trophy. I think if this staff had utilized him in the big games and and given him the at-bats that I think he was des- was deserved, and I think he'll shine in the playoff, there was a real chance for him to win the Heisman and be at least be at the Heisman as the Midwest representative instead of Jabril Peppers. Um, he had a spectacular year. I think he could have been really close to 1,000, 1,000. I don't think that would have been much of a stretch for him at all. And he was the most explosive, and I think he'll prove to be over the playoff, depending on how far they go. If he is a great playoff, I think they'll go a long ways. Um, so to me, Curtis Samuel was the best offensive player on this football team, and I think he could have been even better, in fact, quite a bit better statistically. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Curtis Samuel, if you just look at the the overall skill level, I mean, he's far and away like the most skilled, the fastest, uh, even his rushing. I mean, the dude averaged like, what, almost eight yards per rush? <laughs> like, right, I think yeah. he, he could do literally everything that you asked him to do. Uh, he was obviously not utilized, I think, in the way that we had hoped that he would be at the beginning of the year. But uh, I think it's pretty clear that he is the most skilled offensive player. And look, JT Barrett has taken his lumps this year, and, and rightfully so in some cases. But he had a decent year. He was not terrible by any means. But no. uh, Curtis Samuel overall, just every time he was on the field, he was electric. And you, know, you just look at the averages here. I mean, like I'm looking at his stats right now. He had 91 rushing yeah. attempts for 704 yards. Like that's, that's stupid. Crazy. Like that's really good. Um, yeah, and, I mean, I think he could so, have been a thousand yard rusher really easily, easily, easily. Yeah. yeah. And he just wasn't given that opportunity. And, and I get it. Like you want to try to save the guy. You don't want him to get injured or something, but I mean, overall, I think he kind of proved that he was the best offensive player on the field and pretty much every game that, you know, Ohio State played. Yeah. And he finally gave urban Meyer his Percy Harvin. I mean, he's been searching for it. Right. He's put everybody in that role. I remember Jordan Hall was in that role. I mean, he's tried everybody in that role. Uh, <laughs> Philly right. Brown is a pro. I mean, he's had, he's tried everybody in that role. Jalen Marshall got really close to being Percy Harvin. I thought, but Jalen Marshall wasn't Curtis Samuel as Percy Harvin. No, I mean, Curtis was the closest that urban's had even going back to his Florida years. He never had anybody better, better than Percy. And, and Curtis is in the conversation. I don't know if he's quite, he's probably not Percy Harvin, but he's, but he's in that conversation. He's the next best player urban's ever had in that position. And that's saying something. Um, yeah. Best defensive player on the football team this year to me was Malik Hooker. I, I just, I just, I had a hunch. Everybody was whispering about him in, in spring practice uh, and in fall camp. I just kept hearing his name over and over and over again. And when we did the television show, I said, "Watch out for this guy." It was one of those ones I got right. I got a lot wrong, but I got that one right. And I, from game one, I just, he was like some combination of Sean Taylor and and and. Uh, uh, he just flew around. He, he everything he did. I mean, we just haven't had a guy at safety who was that aggressive, that much of a ball hawk, kind of an Ed Reed, always there when the ball's in the air. And I realize I just compared him to Sean Taylor and Ed Reed, and I do it with a quick <laughs> conscience because I, I really, I really think he's that good. Um, I think he's going to be a superstar in the NFL. I think he's going to be a top fifteen pick in this year's draft. Sadly, no Buckeye fan. I do not think he will be back for next year because when there's that kind of money on the table, you have to take it. Um, so I think you'll be the first, I think you'll be the second safety off the board behind Jabril Peppers and the people that pass on him, I think will regret it. I think he's that special. And I think he's, and on a year when there was a lot of great defensive players, 
he was the one that was the greatest to me. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't infallible. There were definitely times where he could be put out of position and maybe not, you know, maybe schemed against a little bit. But you can't. The dude had three interceptions for a touchdown return. He had six total interceptions, finished, I think, third on the team in total tackles. You can't. I mean, look, a lot of the other guys had really good seasons. I, mean, I think we just we talk about yeah. Hooker all the time and you kind of ignore like guys like Raquan McMillan, who I think had an amazing year at linebacker. Yeah, People do not talk about that How guy. How great were those linebackers in the Michigan game, Johnny? Man, that, God, they were Baker, great. McMillan, Worley, oh, Baker. They yeah. were a wall. They, they were, were incredible. They and, really were. And, yep. and they deserve all the props in the world. A guy who I, I mean, I don't think, I mean, you know, I think maybe there's a little bit of vacuum left because of, uh, you know, Bosa leaving from last year, but Taekwon Lewis had seven and a half sacks. All right. He led the team. Yeah. He had eight last year. Um, he's, he's really good. He's really, yep. really good. And I don't want to just like pour all the accolades on hooker, but man, he deserves them because you don't do what he did and not be considered like at least one of the best defensive you know, players on the team, if not in the entire country, which, you know, I think the guy, I don't know how he was overlooked nationally the way he was, but um yeah he was he well was he does incredible. end up he, he is he does end up being a consensus first team all-american yeah so and that's he, great and that's awesome but if you're talking about like hardware that. and stuff yeah i thought he was better than peppers i mean i don't yeah i really didn't think it was close so i peppers had the branding but i thought hooker was the better player right. um all year long uh which gets us to best player on this ohio state football team for 2016 and for that i'm gonna go pat elfline i i think he was just I don't know if they are where they now you could make this thing about JT Barrett because how important the quarterback position is, obviously. But boy, Pat Elfline held held it all together, didn't he? At center and was just I mean, I don't know what he if if you you know pro football focused as the grades. I'd be interested to what, what Pat's grades were this year. He's a consensus right. first team all American center, not just what he did on the field, but the way he handled his business, the type of leader he was. I mean, he goes down now in Buckeye lore as one of the great offensive linemen in the history of the school and they've we've had some so uh, to me when i think back on this season best player most important all of those things pat elfline would be the guy that that jumps out to me so he would be he would be my most outstanding player on the football team this year so the one thing i will say about pat pat uh you know he did have a really great season and as far as leadership goes i mean invaluable i mean the dude was really critical in making sure that you had some like senior leadership and, and on the team. The one thing I will say though is that he did not grade out super well uh, towards the end of the year. And one guy offensively, at least on the offensive line, who consistently was just unbelievable was Jamarco Jones, who was he just was. He, it's a good he point. was unbelievable. Uh, and I would argue even better than Pat, uh, at least in terms of overall play. Um, if I'm talking about best overall player though, I still think just the way he changed games. I think Malik Cooker is just you don't see that very often. You don't see a guy, especially at safety, who just terrifies quarterbacks in that way, can totally change the you know the tenor of a game with one play and did several yeah. times. Um, I just, you know, he, to me, was the, the epitome of what that defense was throughout the season. It was just, you know, taking chances, ball hawking, acting on instinct, and you want to see that. And sometimes... You know, teams will lose that edge a little bit towards the middle of the season or towards the end of the season. They'll start thinking a little too much. They they don't want to take chances anymore, especially if they're riding a win streak. He didn't do that. He just played like he wanted to play the entire season, and I I think that guy has to be the MVP. I just I could not believe how impactful he could be at that position so consistently throughout the year. And I just yeah, he's awesome. He's really great, and he's he gone. Maybe, he's maybe totally it's not him. 
You maybe have taken me, talked me out of Pat Elfline, and I'm going to send the Elfline's family to your house. Okay, and, um, that's not and good. And you can deal me. with them because you you may you may have talked me out of it. Uh, Coach of the year to me is a split decision. It's Luke and Shiano. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I, this was the most fun defense in the ten years I've been around the program. This is the most fun defense that I've covered. Um, I loved how how much joy they played with. I loved how aggressive they were. Um, Luke to, Luke has talked about an aggressive ball hawk. And Urban has too. Urban pounded on this early in the early in his tenure about getting the defense to be aggressive and to think that he got him there with Luke and Shiano's help this year. Those two cats and the way they worked together, I heard nothing but positives between the two, and it all showed up on the field. Uh, I can't think of I, I I don't want to I don't want to say one more than the other because I think they deserve it both. Uh, but Shiano and Fickle are to me the the two coaches that that when I look back on this year, I'll think about the impact they had. Yeah, it's got to be those guys. I mean, the defense carried the team for a large chunk of the season. And, you know, we, you know, with Withers and some of the other guys, you've, you've heard about some of the conflicts on defense, you know, when it came to scheme and how they wanted to prepare for games. That was absolutely not present this year. Uh, it seemed like both of those guys were completely on the same page from day one. Uh, the defense overall is just fantastic. And, yeah, I, I think they just did an unbelievable job. And I'm going to be really, really sad. I, and again, I and we'll get to this in a second. I, I did not expect this to to play out the way that it did, but uh, the defense that Shiano and Fickle uh, came up with this year is just really great, especially when you're considering how many people they lost to the draft, how many veterans they lost. To get them all on the same page and to understand the scheme the way they did is is really admirable. Yeah, and to excel. I mean, yeah. they were, they were great. Like the like, the was great. I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. They were great. I mean, it was fun. I, I loved what I can't wait to watch them in the playoff. They're going to have their hands full, obviously, with, with Clemson and, and right. Alabama if it plays out that way. But um, it'll be a, quite the challenge on New Year's Eve. But, boy, they were fun to watch all year. Uh, yeah. Which brings us to game of the year. Look, this is Ohio State-Michigan. I mean, there's obviously – there's <laughs> nothing. I mean, this is this is game of the half century. I mean, they, yeah. I don't know that you could ever – I mean, it's as good as any. I, you know, I know that the the game in 06, that happened right before I got to Columbus. So I can't, you know, I can't speak. I, I know the buildup for that was enormous with number one, number two. Um, this had to be equal that with Harbaugh and Meyer. I mean, it had to be. Um, it had to be right there. And then the game was actually better because that Ohio State-Michigan game actually looked closer than it was in 06, where Michigan gets a late touchdown to make it a three-point. I think it ended up being a three-point score. Whereas this one was... You, you didn't know till till the end. I mean, and then the, right. then that was enough. We had to go to overtime. It was it was the, one of the great college football games of all time, and one of the great college football rivalries of all time. So there's hard, it's hard to debate that. Yeah, I would say. I mean, obviously, I you know I, I agree with that. Tell you what, let me let me throw you a little bit of a curveball. Then, what was the uh-huh. absolute? You know, not counting the Penn State loss, but what was the most difficult, irritating game to watch of all season? What was the worst game? That was a bad one. I, mean, I, I can, I can see logging through that. I mean, just like, come, I mean, come on. Like that was in doubt late, mm-hmm. you know, like, come on. What is just like, what are we doing? What are we doing? What I think this, that's an excellent voodoo. Choice. Does this guy have on us for crying out loud? And then it pisses me off because I thought I, I picked Ohio. I picked, I thought Michigan state would give him a, a just be a bear just because right. of all of it. And they always are. And at the very last minute, I saw urban Meyer, like, shadow punching or shadow boxing before the pregame and i thought oh god they're all fired up they're gonna smoke them so i changed my bet at the last minute which i never do and i did it twice at ohio state and i did it on that one so that that one was the most yeah that's yeah 
I'm gonna. So that's a great. That's a great one. But I'm gonna say uh, the Northwestern game where Northwestern outscored oh, Ohio State too. ten to seven in the second half. That yeah, was dreadful. Awful. That was so hard to watch. Um, especially yeah, coming up from Penn State loss. Man, that was bad. That was real. Yeah, because at that point too, you were also kind of going like, "What? What in the hell is this team?" Right. You know, because earlier in the year you had Oklahoma, which was just such joy. You know, and just kind of like this. Well, well, here we're here. You know, welcome to the world moment. Right. And then after Penn State, and yeah, just kind of the drudgery of that. Yeah, I mean, this this was not. Um, while it ended with just pure joy in the way they beat Michigan, and that's and we get we'll get to this next week, but um, I I do not have a great feeling about Clemson. I just uh, I just kind of don't um, as we get closer yeah. and closer. I I have ultimate trust in Urban, obviously, but. Um, it's it's not sitting with me very well as we as we get closer and closer to that game. We'll see. It always changes with the week leading up, though. Um, all right, now a couple of fun ones. Uniform of the year. When did Ohio State look their best? I'll let you answer this one first. Uh, so I don't. I cannot remember. Did they at any point use the black numbers in the in the gray stripes yeah. at home? Yeah, they used them in the Michigan game with the ridiculous black helmets. Okay, then I don't count that. I don't count that. I don't count that. Okay, because I was because I knew they'd use it in the Michigan game, but I meant That's like, shame. did they go with the classic? Nope. Then I'm going to say at Oklahoma under the lights when they God had, they still had the uniforms. They still had the, you know, Grace, the gray cool stripes. stripes and stuff. Yep. I'm going to say at Oklahoma, even though I'm not a huge fan of the whites, yep. um, that was pretty, that was pretty baller. Do you remember when, uh, when Craig Kilborn hosted the late, late show? Were you familiar with the show? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was full of just arrogance and pomp. Right. And dripping with arrogance, but yeah. he used to do the five questions, which is great. And he would say, he would ask these people these inane questions, and then he would go, that is correct. That's correct. <laughs> that's what I would say to you. That is correct. You're yeah. right. It's Oklahoma. That, that's the answer. That's the correct answer. They screwed up the Michigan game by wearing black helmets for reasons beyond my comprehension. Um, and now this like one of the greatest games of all time, Ohio State's running around in black helmets, even though they're known as the Silver Bullets. Mm-hmm. How stupid is that? Um, irregardless, <laughs> the, the ones at Oklahoma are the ones. That's the answer. But the gray sleeves... I think yeah. they wore those at Penn State too. Um, they and they're going to wear them in the playoff. So if we get to Alabama, we'll get black, black, you know, numbers and gray sleeves and scarlet jerseys. But we're going to wear the white against Clemson. But um, so we'll get to see them a couple more times if we can win a couple of games. So ho- hopefully we do. But you got it right with Oklahoma. Um, yeah. All right, my biggest miss from our August preview shows, and I hate singling out an individual player, and yet I'm going to do it. Um, I really thought Paris Campbell would be a star. I really did. I mean, I just saw all the measurables. I heard all the buzz in spring. My recollection of him from when I was there covering them on a daily basis, um, everything the coaches staff has ever said about him, I just loved everything about the kid. And he comes out in the first game, and you feel like he's going to start to – that you see a few flashes, and then he starts getting the dropsies. And he just never got it going. And, you know – he just, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why, he just never got it going, and it's kind of a bit of a lost year for him. And really, that if you if you go back to the, the you know, the receivers never did. They never took off. They never hit. Um, so, and, and he's the, you know, kind of the poster child of that, at least for me. I would say my biggest miss was on the coaching staff. And, and like I said, you know, I, I want to get to this real quick, but I really did not expect Greg Schiano to gel well with the Ohio state coaching staff. I just thought he was this arrogant dude. I didn't think he wanted to really deign to be a, you know, a coordinator 
um, you know, at the college level anymore. Yeah. Uh, just, just from what I know his personality and who he is, I just didn't think it would work. And I was obviously utterly wrong about this. And I thought the defense would struggle because of it. I thought that if you've got a young defense, a guy who's coming in who maybe, you know, thinks that he's a little above this, um, I just didn't think it was going to work out. And clearly I was wrong. Clearly the exact opposite happened. So that's, that's good. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you, when you do, when you do this is, you know, when this is your business, you're going to, you're going to miss you. Look, I miss more than I hit, but I yeah. just talk more about the ones I hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the, I actually had the record, the record nailed. I missed it by one game. I thought they'd be 12 and one. I thought they'd win the big 10 as we do the biggest hit. Now my, my biggest hit was I thought they'd be 12 and one. I thought they'd win the big 10. I thought they'd play in the college football playoffs. So they did all of that, except they didn't win the big 10 because they lost the wrong team. Um, and the reason I felt that way in August if you if we go back to the to the audio tape, it was Urban Meyer and JT Barrett. I believe in Urban. I believed in JT. Um, JT didn't quite have the year that I thought he would have, but Urban Meyer and the total talent on the football team was there. And so even in a year where they have forty some freshmen or first year players on the roster, you're playing in the college football playoff, which is absurd. They have no business being in this place. Most programs don't. The only program that can do this is Ohio State and Alabama. That's it. That's the list. And so that was one that we got right. And it basically the, the reason that I felt strongly about it is just because of how long I've been around urban and right. the type of programs that he builds and knowing that there really isn't a drop off from year to year, which is, I mean, and that's, and that's a fair observation on your part, because again, that's not something I particularly believed in, but maybe I should start because obviously the, the proof is in the pudding. So one of the places that I hit, I would say, I mean, you, you brought this up last week. I thought the, you know, the wide receivers would struggle a little bit. You crushed um, that. You were yeah, adamant and, about that. You were adamant well, about the receivers, and you were right. They weren't yeah, right. A lot of it has to do with route running. A lot of it has to do with the fact that there just aren't guys who are good at the art of being a receiver. And you watch this in the games, and you see sloppy routes. You see incomplete routes. Um, it was happening last year. You had a couple guys who could bail you out, um, but not not like it is this year that doesn't you know that that player isn't there there isn't a guy who can with his athleticism make up for the fact that he you know cut his route five yards short and it, you don't have that if you don't have that then you've got to be a lot more disciplined when it comes to all the other things that you have to do and I thought they got better towards the end of the year in terms of things like blocking um, especially yeah. in the mission game you saw a lot of that and it, they did really good job at certain points but this, the the details of being a wide receiver that you have to master to, to beat some of these corners. And the Big Ten's got a lot of good corners. Um, yep. to, to compete against those guys, you've got to be really technical, and none of those guys have that yet. I, I think no. you know a guy like K.J. Hill might emerge as a guy like that in the future, but he's, he's so raw, and there's a lot of guys who just... I mean, you see it on the field. I mean, Curtis Samuel has twice as many catches. He's a running back right. or right. H-back. Um, as the next guy, and that's just that's not acceptable. And they really, yeah. I don't know if they have it in recruiting, but they need to go find the fastest kid in the country and yeah. go have him run nine routes because they didn't yeah. have anybody who could get separated. Nobody stretched the field. None. Yeah. Now some of that's JT because he doesn't have the arm that you know some other guys have had through the years. Right. But my gosh, they they have got to find somebody who can stretch the defense because to go through another season without that. I, it's just foolish. You have, and I know they know that. And they'll find it. They got to find a guy who's fast who can, who can get deep. Um, but you nailed that. That was a concern of yours. I remember vividly in August, and you you absolutely crushed it, my friend. Um, all right. So next week on the show, we will be doing our uh, our college football playoff semifinal preview show. So yeah. this is a big show. Um, so we'll we'll dig in on it on Clemson, 
give you a good look. Um, I will do that a lot over the next week, over the holiday. Um, we're going to have a, a Clemson expert on to give a real behind-the-scenes feel for what Clemson's all about. Um, I, again, we have Urban, they have Dabo, so I tend to like our chances there. Although <laughs> Dabo's been trending the other way, I, I just am really – I just don't like this matchup much. So, but it's the college football playoff semifinal, so you probably shouldn't like it. It should be tough, right. and I think this one will be. So, uh, we will Clemson do that show and, next week. Sorry to interrupt, ahead, real quick, but Clemson has been people who aren't concerned about this game need to look at Clemson's record the past two seasons, right? Like they have been playing lights out, and they are a really, really tough opponents. So, I'm with you on that. And look at the look at the amount of NFL players on their roster. Yep, absolutely. Go, and if you want to get really terrified, go watch last year's national championship game. And watch <laughs> yeah. What can do a quarterback. Go watch yep. that because that's scary. Um, all right, brother. So in, have a good holiday. Merry Christmas to you. And yep. um, and we will uh, we will reconvene next week for uh, for the college football playoff semifinal edition, my friend. Merry Christmas to you and all those listeners out there. Ho, ho, ho. And we'll see you next week.